Welcome. This is EIG, Milwaukee's philanthropic community, with your host, Jill Economo, on News Talk 1130 WISN. Good morning and welcome. I'm Jill Economo, Director of Community Outreach and host of this great community resource called Milwaukee's Philanthropic Community, brought to you by the Ellen Becker Investment Group. If you're looking for a way to give back to the community, this is the place you want to camp for about an hour to get information and ideas about how you can do just that. We highlight a host of various nonprofit organizations so they can get the word out on how they're making an impact in the community. And then you, the listener, can see if you want to be a part of what they're doing. Find one that resonates with your values, your passion, your goals, and then get involved in some way, any way really, so you can experience the blessing of paying it forward. The topic of discussion today is how to improve the quality of life for individuals and families in Milwaukee and throughout Wisconsin. Now, that's a broad topic and a tall order, I understand, but we're going to hone in on the areas of unemployment, poverty, and physical as well as substance abuse. So my first guest today is Carrie Lurch, who is the Deputy Director from Community Advocates Public Policy Institute. Welcome to the show today, Carrie. Thank you so much. Love the name, Community Advocates. Um, you guys set out to form an organization to address the root causes of poverty so that you can prevent clients from ever needing your services in the future, right? Correct. Um, now, one might say that that's a recipe for failure, but when you think about it, it's actually a way to bring about change that will have a positive effect on the community at large. And that's really what all nonprofits should aspire to do, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so tell us, why are you so passionate about community advocates and the Policy Institute? Yeah, um, when I was younger and sort of envisioned my life path and what I would um, grow up to do when I got older, I loved the idea of working with kids and thought I wanted to be a teacher. I would spend my summers playing school when I wasn't in school. Mm-hmm. Um, so when I started college and started, um, going to be an education professional, it was when I got into my first classroom and I was in a classroom of fourth graders, Uh um, which was, (laughs) you said, no, not not what I expected. (laughs) No. Um, and I still loved the idea of, um, you know, helping kids in some way. And that's when I sort of fell into the field of social work. Um, I actually started at Community Advocates as an intern while I was getting my bachelor's degree in social work. And right off the bat, um, it was a fit for me. I had a wonderful mentor at the time who recommended Community Advocates because I was recognizing that while I really liked working with clients one-on-one, I was really fascinated and interested in looking at things from a systems level and how can I make things better for tons of people rather than just individual to individual. Um, So that's, I think, what really drew me to community advocates to begin with. And I've now been there about 13 years doing this kind of work. And then you said you wanted to have more of an impact on a larger scale. And so that's kind of why you went into the policy side of things? Yeah, I really liked the idea of thinking about how I could... Um, make changes with policy or make changes in systems, um, which are driven by policy, right? So I liked thinking about how can we make, again, this bigger impact. And um, the fit for me was when Community Advocates started the Policy Institute in 2008. Again, our executive director at the time sort of recognized we have these families coming in our door from crisis to crisis. They were getting evicted last minute. Their utilities were cut off because moratorium was ended and they owed a bill. Um, How could we move from putting a Band-Aid on a crisis to implementing good policy that wouldn't 
um, allow for people to show up at our door every time they had a crisis. Mm. Um, And so that was sort of the initial vision of the Policy Institute. And while that still holds true, I think what we have grown into um, far surpasses what the expectations were of that that vision in the beginning. Well, well, that's good, right? Yeah. That's a wonderful thing. And actually, to effectively address the root causes of any social issue, you really got to first understand how we got to where we are first, right? Mm -hmm. You know, to first identify the problem before Mm -hmm. you start coming up with solutions. Mm -hmm. And so that's kind of how I think the Public Policy Institute um, got started. Yeah. And I think the really interesting thing is, so sort of um, our umbrella approach to dealing with these issues is looking at the root causes of poverty. But there are so many different factors that can lead to a family or an individual living in poverty. And as any good social worker knows, most times poverty is cyclical. So it goes from grandmother to mother to um, child, and it continues to go unless we find a way to interrupt that cycle. And I think I love at the Public Policy Institute what we do a really good job of is we, I can go in a single day from talking about substance abuse to child welfare to teen pregnancy to employment to you name it and how that particular topic circles back to the broader idea of how a family or individual ends up living in their life in poverty. Mm. And so... I was going to say, and, and I will, you know, what is some of the work that the Public Policy Institute does? So you kind of answered that a little bit, but can you go into more detail then? You know, yeah. So if someone is saying, what exactly then do you do at the Public Policy Institute other than, you know, put together policy? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, give us some examples. Yeah, absolutely. So I think um, when people hear policy, they're often thinking of um, – You know, the traditional sort of what I affectionately call our policy wonks, Um, they are researching legislation, they are helping to write legislation, they're maybe lobbying for legislation change, which is all true. Um, We all we do all of that within the Public Policy Institute. But I think what I get really excited by is how the expansion has come about. Um, We've expanded that to really look at some prevention work. And I think what where while most people might not say, you know, that doesn't make sense, I think for us it's rounding out that idea. We're not being as reactive to things mm. that we want to be, but we're actually trying to say what can we put in place so that we're proactive right. so we're not having to constantly respond to the issues. Um, and I think the other thing is, you know, policy really can be two di- – I think about it in two different ways. There's big P policy like we talked about, so that's like pieces of legislation, right? Um, but then there's also little P policy, and that drives our everyday lives. So a really good example I like to share is um, we worked as a coalition to help get drug drop boxes in the Milwaukee Police Department stations so people had a safe place to go mm-hmm. to get rid of narcotic medications so they're not hanging around their homes putting other people at risk for being misused and they're being destroyed proper, properly. Oh, that's that's wonderful. I mean, that's a great example. And it makes sense, you know, earlier on I said, either, I think it was on your website where you said you're, you're working to get to a point where people don't need your services. And, yeah. and that makes sense. Yeah. You know, again, someone might say, wait, what? Rewind. Yeah. What are you saying? You want to, yeah. you know, put yourself out of business? But that's not it. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it's not the bottom line. But you're trying to drive policy, like you said, that mm-hmm. will make a big difference and will have a domino effect 
You know, Absolutely. It, will, it will reach <clears throat> greater parts of the community. But um, speaking of what you were just talking about, according to the National Institute on Drug Abuse, in 2017, drug abuse and addiction cost American society more than $740 billion. That's B, billion. Right, billion with a B. <laughs> in workplace productivity, health care expenses, and crime-related costs. So stay tuned to hear how Public Policy Institute is playing a role in attempting to change those statistics. So stay tuned, and we'll be right back. Thanks for tuning in. This is EIG, Milwaukee's philanthropic community, with your host, Jill Economo, on News Talk 1130 WISN. Welcome back. I'm your host, Jill Economo, and I'm talking with Carrie Lurch from Community Advocates, the Public Policy Institute. So I said before the break that according to the National Institute on Drug Abuse, in 2017, drug abuse and addiction cost American society more than $740 billion with a B in workplace productivity, health care expenses, and crime-related costs. So, Carrie, why is attention to policy important, and how does the Public Policy Institute use policy to make change, positive change, really, regarding these statistics? Mm-hmm. So, again, um, I just want to revisit this concept that policy drives every aspect of our lives, how we live, how we work, how we play. And so much of what we try and do in the Policy Institute is really think about okay, either from a reactive standpoint or a proactive standpoint, how can we put good policy in place so that people have the opportunity to live productive, full, engaged lives, um, healthy lives? So one of the things I think about is several years ago now, um, when we were just starting to see this opioid crisis emerge in our country, I sat on a phone bank for TMJ4, Mm. where families could call in and talk about their questions about substance use, any concerns they had about friends or family members or themselves with this issue. And I would talk to parent after parent um, who would be in tears just talking about, you know, their sons, their daughters, their loved ones who were addicted to these pills um, or maybe transitioning to something else. And how how could they help that person they loved um, who was being just transformed Mm -hmm. by this drug that they had become addicted to. And for me, when we think about, um, you know, we're still in this crisis of opioid addiction in our country. And again, what role does policy play in that? And, um, you know, at one point in our policy institute, as we're starting to do more and more substance use prevention work, um, we sat down as a team and we came up with four pages of policies that we thought, you know, really affected the the opioid work that we were doing. Four pages. Four pages. Wow. Everything okay. from being proactive and um, increasing the utilization of drug drop boxes, mm-hmm. um, safety in the homes, making sure medications are locked up and secure and being only used for what they're meant for. A lot of times even we think about, um, you know, the housing market is so hot right now. Houses are selling really quickly. As a realtor, it's important to work with your clients, making sure their medications are locked up as people are doing open houses, that, you know, people aren't going through the medicine cabinets, taking stuff away that they're not supposed to. Never Um, even thought about that. Never. Yeah. And I imagine many people don't. But yeah, you're right. mm -hmm. I suppose people that find themselves in that situation... Um, will do just about anything to mm-hmm. to um, 
satisfy that mm-hmm. need. And so I suppose that that's not off, off limits. So that's, that's an interesting uh, perspective. Yeah. So, and I think the, um, you know, another thing we think about in our field are the, the social determinants of health and how health can affect our everyday lives. Another policy project we're working on is around housing. Many people have met, um, read Matt Desmond's book, Evicted Now. And so one of the things we're looking at is how is healthcare and someone's housing um, linked together? And it's not a natural connection that a lot of people would think of. But if you're living in, you know, a mold-infested um um, a home that is not taken care of, windows are broken, it's not in a safe area. These things all affect not only your physical health, maybe if you have asthma, but quite possibly your mental health if you are stressing about um, things not being fixed and whether you're going to have bed bugs crawling all over you at night. Yeah. Um, part of his book included, um, he actually came to Community Advocates and went out with us in the field and visited families. And, you know, these stories of families who are getting evicted last minute, their stuff is being thrown out in the street and stolen by other people. Um, the connection to any type of, like, policy and ultimate health for people is is really strong. And part of, again, even just going back to the substance abuse issue, why we're so driven to do what we do. So give me an example then of the last situation with the housing. What type of policy have you put in place for that? Mm -hmm. So we're actually, um, we're looking at housing policy across the country. We started with a list of almost 100 different housing policies and how we could implement some new or different housing policies in our state or even in, you know, Milwaukee to have better outcomes. And one of the things that we're looking at is how can we, um, you know, encourage landlords to keep up on repairs. Not all landlords are bad landlords. You know, there are some really good landlords. Um, But how can we work with them to make sure that they're their units, their duplexes, their homes are in the best condition possible, and that um, are the people who are renting are getting you know really good um, places to live where they feel safe and secure. If they feel safe and secure and in a well um, well oriented and put together home, they're going to try a lot harder to be t- on time with their rent and make sure it's consistent because they're not going to want to leave. No one wants to be evicted. Right. No one wants to have to spend hours a day searching for a new place. And if you have evictions on your record, it's harder to find um, better housing because your eviction record is something a landlord can look at. Mm. So you're going levels deep. I mean, it's not just because, again, I would never have thought about that issue going back Mm -hmm. to the landlords instead of looking at it from the renter standpoint, Mm -hmm. you know, just going back and making sure everybody's held accountable. Um, The name Community Advocates implies collaborative work with community partners, obviously. So Mm -hmm. tell us about the work that the Public Power Policy Institute is involved in as it relates to community partnerships. Yeah, so much of what we um, do and what we think about as we do our work is we see ourselves as a convener. Um, so our our focus is how can we bring together the right people to the table to really focus on an issue and create change. So an example I'll give is we, um, one of the groups that we lead is called the Milwaukee Child Abuse and Prevention Committee. Um, So it's looking at 
policy from the child welfare um, lens and seeing how are our families being served, where are there areas we can improve for our agencies that are dealing with child welfare or families, what does that look like for them? Um, We were just hearing a story the other day in our committee where one of our partner organizations was dealing with a mom who had a young um, child who was born with some really significant health issues Um, due to this condition. This child had to be fed very specifically and very regularly. Otherwise, it would be detrimental to their health. But the mom had some challenges around doing fractions. I mean, how many of us can do the math and fractions anymore about, you know, getting very specific and making sure that the right dosage of food is given so it's not detrimental? And because of that, she's put at risk of being, you know, having her child taken away if she can't figure out how to how to follow this process. Um, And it's not through, you know, her... We what so we look at okay what kind of supports could be provided in that environment so that we could keep that family together because it's not that that mom doesn't want to provide for that child right. or give it a happy healthy life of course she does yeah. there are just some extra challenges and so one of the things we like to think about from that perspective is how can we be really um, creating some supports and looking at again good proactive policy so that we can um, create environments where families can thrive and not always be um, so punitive when things go wrong. Mm -hmm. Of course, we're going to be concerned with if there's a really dangerous situation for a child, we don't want, you know, we don't want harm to come to that child. But really, the focus has been shifting um, for a while now to really think about how can we keep these families together, keep them supported, because no parent wants their child taken away. No child wants to be taken away from their parents. Right, right. Well, you bring up some interesting things, um, you know, things that I've not even thought about prior to you, you uh, prior to us discussing them. But what, what's one thing then that you wish more nonprofits would understand about policy work? Because again, you're sharing some ideas here yeah. that I, I'm guessing some people wouldn't even be thinking about, uh, you know, going layers deep. But um, Mm -hmm. what would you what would you hope for that the nonprofits would understand more about the policy work specifically? Mm -hmm. I think, again, going back to this idea that policy is so ingrained in our everyday lives, we live it, we work it, we play it. Um, Our nonprofit partners are experts. Um, our, Our organizations who work with families are experts on what policy should be in place around child welfare. I would say it's more of um, an empowerment and encouragement to really um, allow them the space to connect with people who are writing these policies, who are making these decisions about how um, funding should be allocated for programs, and that you are an expert. Um, We need to hear your voices about what works well, what doesn't work well, where can we do some course alterations so that things can work better. I think we have all the expertise, but too often our agencies um, that are partnering with us on certain issues um, just feel either ill-equipped or unprepared or um, oftentimes not, like they they don't have the power to do anything about it. Mm. Well, our next guest is actually one of those community partners um, Mm -hmm. that you talk about. How did you connect with the Parenting Network? Yeah, so we've been partnering with the Parenting Network um, for years now. They do some really great work. We um, most recently in some of the um, examples I've given around the 
child welfare work, um, we work with them very closely because they do work closely with parents and families, and they do a fantastic job. They're such a resource. Um, so here, having them at the table to talk about these issues is so invaluable to us. Um, we sort of are experts in the policy side, and they're experts in what their families are dealing with. So it's a relationship that is important and necessary. And then again, the bottom line is it's benefiting the community absolutely in a, in a great way. So um, lots that we could elaborate on here. We don't have enough time for, but uh, I appreciate, Carrie, you being with us this afternoon to uh, to talk about uh, the policy side of, of the nonprofit world. So I, th- I appreciate that. If someone wants to get a hold of you uh, or your organization, how would mm-hmm. they do that? I would say if they want to get in touch with me, the best number is um, area code 414-270-2950. I'm happy to talk more about the work, how people can get involved. Um, just give me a call. Okay. And what about a Facebook page or website? Yeah, we can be, we're Community Advocates Public Policy Institute. Um, so if they pop it into Google search, we'll, we'll come right up. There you go. Okay, super. Well, again, thank you for being here, sharing your passion and your story and what you do yeah. with us. Thanks to you and Ellen Becker for the opportunity. We really appreciate it. You are certainly welcome. So thank you again. The, the National Center on Substance Abuse and Child Welfare actually did a study, and what they found was that among children who were in out-of-home care, 45.1% of their caregivers had a problem with alcohol or drugs. This is according to the Child Welfare Worker Assessment. That's a scary statistic. Stay tuned to learn more about what resources the Parenting Network is offering families. We'll be right back. You're listening to EIG, Milwaukee's philanthropic community, with your host, Jill Economo, on News Talk 1130 WISN. Welcome back to Milwaukee's philanthropic community, brought to you by Ellen Becker Investment Group. I'm your host, Jill Economo. My next guest today is Joyce Felker, who is the executive director of the Parenting Network. So thank you for being here today with us, Joyce. And thank you for this opportunity. This you're is this is very exciting. You're, you're so, welcome. And I love to share my work, so you're probably going to have to have to keep me moving along here because I could talk forever. <laughs> that's fine. That's <laughs> fine. Makes for a very interesting interview, right? Uh-huh. Um, that's that statistic that I stated before the break. That's um, that's scary. Forty six point one of caregivers to children in out of home care had problems with alcohol or drugs. I mean, doesn't that just make you want to scream? Something's got to be done about that, right? Yeah. Um, well, I guess you answered the call, Joyce. You know, how did you get involved with the Parenting Network, and why are you so passionate about it? So I am one of those who grew up, and when somebody would say, what would you like to do? I wanted to be a mom. Mm-hmm. I loved children. I could not wait until I turned 11. That was the age you had to be to babysit. Mm-hmm. I think it was probably the day after I turned 11 that I started babysitting. I couldn't get enough of it. I uh, did things that uh, volunteer in youth groups as I went into high school. I mean, I volunteered working with children as long as I can remember. Mm. And so it was very natural for me to want to do something and get involved in a career that had to do with children. Mm -hmm. So I got my master's degree in counseling psychology and became a child and adolescent therapist, which I loved. It was great. And then... I became a parent. (laughs) 
And then and, you had kids. And dot, then, dot, dot. And then I had my own precious, lovely, <laughs> and they were the joy of my life and the, you know, you know, they say, you know, don't ask for patience. You might get it. <laughs> and and started to realize these precious little lives are a lot of work. <laughs> yes, they are. Yes. Three of my own. So yes, I certainly yes, know what you're talking yes, about. And I've got three of them. So I think, you know, my love for children uh, has always been there. Always. One of the turning points for me in kind of shifting really to look at what do we do for parents is when my son was three and out of nowhere he was diagnosed with cancer. Uh, At the time we lived in Stevens Point, Wisconsin and all I could think was, okay, he's three. He doesn't smoke. Yeah. <laughs> There's no cancer in our, in our history. How did this happen? Yeah. And as we kind of went through the process, and you start to understand how hard just parenting is by itself. You add the stress and everything that comes with having a child who's sick. Mm-hmm. And although he's sick... The other two are still fighting. They don't care. And they're upset because mommy can't go to the grocery store with them. Mm. I have to figure out how to keep my son who has no immune system out of grocery stores. Mm. So we're not going hardly anywhere. You know, life really changed. And having been, you know, a therapist, kind of in the social work field, I was very used to being the one that would help people. You need something... I will help you. I'm a giver. I'm a helper. Mm -hmm. What was very difficult was to understand that I needed help. Yeah. Sometimes that's the hardest, right? It's hard to recognize that and to say, you know what? It's okay. Mm -hmm. It's okay to ask for help and to receive help. And it it really, I think, switched something in me that said, while children need help and I love being with children, there's also this whole other group of parents who also need support and need yeah. help. Yeah. Well, well, give us a little history here. How did the Parenting Network get started? So it started uh, back in the early 70s. It started at Roundy's Baptist Church, which was uh, over kind of towards Glendale. Uh, the church actually saw a need for a parent stress line. So they had volunteers who, out of the basement of the church, would answer this parent stress line. So if parents were having a hard day or something was going on, they could call the stress line. And then in uh, 1976, the uh, Milwaukee uh, League of of Junior Women saw the rise of child abuse and neglect Mm -hmm. and wanted to do something. And so they actually took that volunteer uh, parent stress line and incorporated it as Parents Anonymous. So the agency actually started, was incorporated in 1977 as Parents Anonymous. Uh, The parent stress line that we now call the Parent Helpline was was kind of the start of the organization and then uh, parent support groups that they had throughout the city. Hmm. So the the beginning of it was a a little bit, it was very specific uh, in terms of parent help as we have grown the science we call it the science of prevention has grown we have added on programming we now have 19 programs in uh, the mid 90s we changed the name from parents anonymous 
to the Parenting Network to reflect our collaborative nature. Okay. And uh, we also, uh, we talk about the, the work we do for parents of today and then the parents of tomorrow. So we also have programming uh, for students, for youth in the schools. We work on teen pregnancy prevention and on life skills. And uh, we do some work in the detention center as well at the Val Phillips Detention Center. Wow. So okay. Now, these are nationally known evidence-based curricula that yep. you... Okay. Yep. And they're available not just to moms and dads, but to grandparents, step-parents, foster parents, adoptive parents, parents-to-be. Yes. I mean, you kind of put it out yep. there. And, yep. and your mission is to strengthen parenting and, again, to, to prevent child abuse. And so uh, the Parenting Network really does a lot of really neat things to to uh, attempt to accomplish that mission and yep. that, that, that purpose. Um, so you mentioned the parent hotline. How does someone get in contact with them yep. now? So um, there's a phone number, 414-671-0566, or they can go to our website, which is simply theparentingnetwork.org. Uh, so the, the one thing we've touched on, so we've got programs. You, you kind of use the term evidence-based. Mm-hmm. I think what's important to understand, too, is that we are based on science. We call it the science of prevention. While it's a charity and we do good work and, you know, really try to, to support parents, we know the science in terms of what does it take to prevent child abuse. So I'm going to go through. Uh, there's something called the fr- uh, Strengthening Families Protective Factors Framework. Okay. It was an extensive literature review uh, done and focus groups that looks at what are the five things families need to be successful? Now, I know the, the folks listening cannot see, but I'm handing you a pen. Oh, thank this you is, very much. Mm-hmm, this is a pen that as you click through it, it actually tells you about each of the different protective oh, factors, okay. right? Trust me, it's very cool, listeners. It yeah, is, it cool. is, it is. <laughs> so visualize cool uh, white and blue pen. Uh, so there is, now, now my Pen's not clicking. Okay, so we know there's parental resilience, knowledge of parent uh, and child development, connecting with others. So do you have friends? Do you have social connections? Building inner strength, which is in that, that uh, uh, parental resilience, and uh, knowing how to find help. So concrete mm. support in times of need. So how do you find housing? Like Carrie mentioned earlier. Yeah. It's, it's fascinating. We can talk more about that in the next segment, too, because yeah. I think that's important. And I think it's also interesting that 99% of helpline callers said that they were confident of what their next steps are. Right, right. So, so yeah, it's more than just information. We really want to know. So do you know where you're going to get this help? Do you know what you're going to do next? Um, we also um, ask them. Many of them call with a significant amount of stress. So has this helped reduce your stress? I think the other thing to recognize is that it is not a one-and-done. Our mm-hmm. programs are not one-and-done. Typically, we will talk to callers two, three, four times, oftentimes for an hour each each phone consultation. So it is not just a quick information and referral. It's actually in-depth referral plus parent coaching. Mm. And then on the other side, you have someone such as yourself with your educational background? Uh, We have social workers. We have a licensed social worker. Um, I'm, I'm, you know, 
the one with the master's in counseling psychology. Most of our other staff are in the social work field, okay, uh, or criminal justice related fields. So they're they're so trained. They trained. I mean, they're yeah. they're trained. They're trained. Yeah. They're degreed, um, and they are all certified as parent coaches through our Triple P Positive Parenting Program. Okay, work. And then, uh, just quickly before the break, I wanted to mention how many of you listeners out there know what two one one is. You know, we, uh, when Joyce and I met earlier to discuss the show, she had mentioned this to me and I said, gosh, I wish I knew about that when my kids were small. I had no idea about this 211. Now, I know what 411 is and I know for my cell service I can dial 611. We know what 911 is. What is 211? So 211 is if you need a resource. So housing or assistance with uh, your, your energy bills. Uh, really, you look at 414 was kind of for information about, like, phone numbers, contact. 211 is information for services. Mm. Whatever service you need, legal aid, uh, housing, energy, um, parenting, employment, job readiness skills, resume building, all of those things. Okay. So, so you just dial that, and they'll direct two, you to one, one. wherever they you need yep. to go. Yep. Okay. That's great. So different ways that you can reach out for help. So, so needed in our community because, unfortunately, the number of reports of child protective services continues to rise in Milwaukee County from over 13,800 in 2010 to over 15,800 in 2016 up to over 16,200 in 2018. Now that's nearly a 20% increase from 2010. So stay tuned to find out what is causing this jump in child abuse and neglect and what's being done to address it. We'll be back in a moment. Thanks for tuning in. This is EIG. Milwaukee's philanthropic community with your host, Jill Economo, on News Talk 1130 WISN. Welcome back to Milwaukee's Philanthropic Community, brought to you by the Ellen Becker Investment Group. I'm your host, Jill Economo, Director of Community Outreach, and I'm chatting with Joyce Felker from the Parenting Network. So tell us, Joyce, what is contributing to this almost 20% increase in child abuse and neglect? Okay, so when we think about child abuse and neglect, we think about there's physical abuse, sexual abuse, neglect. Now, there's emotional abuse and some other things, but those are kind of the three primary ways we categorize the overall child maltreatment. What is fascinating is if you really dig into those numbers, you find that the physical abuse specific percentage is down by 6%. It's down. Down, down by 6%. Down. Okay. So physical abuse is down by 6%. Sexual abuse is down by 3%. Okay? Really? So we're doing well. We're, we're, we're really addressing that. What is up significantly is neglect. Mm. So, so let me talk about neglect. So we always say neglect if it's other than poverty. Poverty is not neglect, right? Okay. So let's go back to the conversation you had with Carrie and talking about the problem with substance abuse and these drugs. One, when we have uh, either it is a, um, a parent that endangers their child due to drug abuse or failure to protect them from drug abuse, that charge is filed as neglect. Okay? So substance abuse-related charges are neglect. What we have also seen during that same period of time 
from you know the early uh, from 210, we have seen a jump in opioid-related overdose deaths, mm-hmm. having jumped from 114 in 2012 to 337 oh in 2017. Now, I wow. don't know how many of your viewers have been watching the news lately, but we've all, uh, or many of us have seen, over the weekend in Milwaukee, there were 12 overdose deaths. Mm-hmm just over one weekend, which uh, has not happened for a long time. That is significant. Now, while the medical examiner is still looking at the toxicology reports, I am going to venture a guess that when those toxicology reports come back, you're going to find some kind of opioid, heroin, fentanyl, some kind of substance related to that. Mm-hmm. So the point you know, we've, we've tried to make is this connection between substance abuse and child abuse or neglect in this case. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, the question I'm sure then also comes up, okay, I get get that. What does that have to do with what the Parenting Network does? You know, what's your role in that? Mm -hmm. If you talk to law enforcement, you talk to somebody in probation and parole, somebody in the criminal system, they will tell you every time the primary motivator for a parent to become sober or for a parent to stay out of jail is their child. Mm. They want to become a better parent. Yeah. And this is where we can come alongside of them in their parenting journey. Mm. And we Thank can goodness too, and right? we can support yeah. them. Mm-hmm. You know, child abuse and neglect is complicated. Um, again, the social determinants, some of the things Carrie talked about, that contribute to child abuse and or neglect. And so if you think about stress, often the stress that comes with poverty. So poverty uh, can often be caused you don't have a job uh, or you're underemployed or you lose a job. You know, if you think about some of these things, uh, let's say uh, you've got somebody like a, uh, you know, mom, mom has three children, dad loses his job, okay, finances go down, right? Mm-hmm. Bills pile up. Mom may be working a job that pays minimum wage, okay? Maybe, maybe they don't have a car. So now you have to think about how do they get to work, okay? You've got one parent working. They're making minimum wage. Oh, by the way, they have three children, two of whom are in child care. I don't know if you've ever paid a child care bill. Uh, Yes, I have. uh uh Uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. That is more than some mortgages. So these things pile up. And if they don't have a car and they need to take the bus to work, now they have to live someplace on a bus line and have a job someplace on the bus line. Oh, and have a child care center somewhere on that bus line. And... By the way, you're supposed to be a patient, loving, nurturing, wonderful parent <laughs> that reads to your child at night, gives them a snack, and tucks them in bed, and everybody goes to sleep and lives happily ever after. Right? Okay. We do have those days, yes. but, you know, they're probably not, you know, few, an everyday occurrence. They are few and far between. <laughs> so, you know, there's real world, and then there's, you know, television yeah. world. Yeah. And so these 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 problems, these stressors are real. Drug addiction is real. 
Yeah. And and I think if you ask somebody who who was struggling with that, gee, is this the life you planned for yourself? Yeah. No, they're not gonna they're gonna say no. Yeah. And so we can come alongside them. We have, like I said earlier, fourteen different programs. Uh, we have individual coaching that uh, really helps the parent uh, develop a child-specific behavior plan that they work through. We have classes for parents of little ones, zero to three elementary. We have classes for parents who have adolescents. We have um, an anger management called Relax Program. We, we have get a, a massage menu. with that, too? <laughs> um, you know what? I'm gonna, that is a wonderful program development piece. Uh-huh. Go through this class, yes. and then you get a massage at the end before you have to go home and deal with it all over again. <laughs> the problem is I, I would sign up for every class, then, and I wouldn't be doing my job. Um, so, so, so we've got a, a whole menu of classes. Like I said, we do classes and things for the parents of tomorrow. And in the, the work we do with youth, we do alcohol and other drug abuse prevention education, right? Mm. Because we want them to have the skills the, the peer resistance skills, the knowledge to, to say no to yeah, those drugs yeah. and not and it, to repeat that cycle. Yeah, and education is so, so key. So yeah. how do you know that what you're doing is working? How, how do you measure success then? So we have a number of actually evidence-based tools. Um, you mentioned, again, the evidence-based curriculums. They come with evidence-based tools. And we really look at, we look at knowledge. So what have we done to change somebody's knowledge? But more than that... What are the behaviors, what are the things they are doing as a parent that are different now? And we have a very, uh, very extensive measurement tools. It's a pre and a post test that people take. And we track a lot of data to see, was this a program that made a difference in your life? We, we look at parent-child relationship. We have seen those improve significantly. We have seen uh, communication improve between their parents and their child. Uh, something else we've seen go down is we call it coercive parenting. So we, we have seen a, a difference. We've seen a measurable um, outcomes that are showing this is working. Wonderful. And, and we're, we're making an impact. That's wonderful. Well, that's what it's all about. That's, yeah. that's why we want to feature you guys on the, on the show to, show, to share how you're actually making an impact. Um, so how can the community support you then? If there's someone out there that says, I love the organizations that, uh, that uh, we talked about today, how, how can we best support you or what's your greatest need? Okay, so real quick, one, spread the word, please. We are small. People do not know us. Theparentingnetwork.org. Let people know we're there. We've got parenting. We're a nonprofit. We can always use money. Okay. I don't need to say much more about that, mm-hmm. right? I mean, we, mm-hmm. uh, we only have as much capacity as we have uh, funders. And then uh, the other thing is to get involved in the lives of your friends and family and let them know, you know what? I know you're stressed. I know this is hard. Let them know it is okay to ask for help, and let's stop believing that we have to all be these independent, you know, perfect parents. Super moms, super dads. dads. I'm sorry, that is, again, only on TV. Mm -hmm. And so be supportive. Let let your friends know. And yourself, give yourself permission to ask for help. Yeah. Give grace and not only to the others, but to yourself as well. And, and yeah. that's the hardest one. Yeah. So so lots of great things here. Uh, again, we can't possibly go into everything, but I think what we want to make sure people are aware of is 
how they can reach out for that lifeline, that support when they feel they're at the end of the rope. So can you share with us that telephone number yep. again? 414-671-0566. And that is the parent helpline. Okay. And also 211. 211 if you need a resource, so services. And oftentimes they will connect you. A lot of those services are housed at Community Advocates. Oh, wonderful. So it all comes full circle. It there does. We go. There we it go. Does. And uh, website, the Facebook parent, page? Yeah, org. Okay. And we do have a Facebook page managed by me. Oh. Anyone who would like to volunteer and help with social media, oh, please, I beg you, call me. I'm, I won't say my age, but I'm really past the point of being good at social media. Yeah, just say baby boomer. That's <laughs> I'm, right. a baby I'm a baby boomer, boomer so yep. there you go. Uh, yeah, so I could, I, seriously, I could use a volunteer. Okay. Yes, All right. absolutely. Okay. Well, I'd like to thank my guest today, Carrie Lurch from the Community Advocates Public Policy Institute, and you, Joyce Felker from the Parenting Network. Thank you both for all you do with regard to education, developing policy, and throwing out a lifeline to anybody who uh, who may need help. Thank you for being with us today. And thank you for having us. You are absolutely welcome. If you'd like further information about the people or the organizations we talked to today, or if you'd like to be considered as a guest for our show, you can email me at jill at ellenbecker.com, or you can call our office at 262 262- 691-3200. There are a few ways to listen to the show. You can tune in on the AM dial, you can download the iHeartRadio app, or you can ask Alexa to play WISN AM 1130. Also, if you've missed a show or you just want to listen to one over and over again, you can visit our website at ellenbecker.com to listen to the podcast, or we're excited to announce that you can also listen on demand at Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, or Apple Podcasts. Join us next Sunday morning at 10 a.m. to hear from some great people and hear them talk about how their nonprofit is making a difference in the community. And then if their message resonates with you, do something about it. Everybody can do something. Share your talents and your treasures with someone, and I guarantee you will be blessed because of it. So go out and find a way to be a blessing and give a blessing. Have a great day.